0: Welcome to Illinois Family Spotlight, a conversation about issues of the day from a biblical perspective, as well as highlights from interviews, conferences, and events. Here's Monty Larrick.
1: Thanks for making Illinois Family Spotlight part of your day. We're highlighting remarks made by Ariel Del Turco during a special forum on religious liberty presented by the Illinois Family Institute at Jubilee Bible Church, Medina, Illinois. Ms. Del Turco is the Director for Religious Liberty at the Family Research Council and the co-author of the organization's Hostility Against Churches report.
0: It's an honor to be here. I would like to thank especially the Illinois Family Institute for inviting me. It's not every day that I get to escape the swamp of Washington, D.C., so thank you for the opportunity. And one of the religious freedoms issues that FRC has been focused on for several months now is the rampant violent and destructive acts taking place against churches. We believe that when physical houses of worship are targeted for criminal activity, this significantly undermines religious freedom. Our research on this topic began last summer when my colleagues and I noticed several acts of vandalism and other crimes against churches in the news. From our point of view, what seemed like random and sporadic incidents were becoming more common. So we set out to put numbers to this theory. Were attacks on churches actually on the rise, or were we just starting to notice them more for whatever reason? What we found was deeply concerning. We looked at acts of vandalism, arson, bomb threats, gun-related incidents, and other acts that take place against church property. We used the umbrella term acts of hostility to describe these, and our findings indicated that not only were they on the rise, but profoundly so. FRC published our findings in a report in December, publicly documented acts of hostility against churches over the past five years. And we found 420 incidents that occurred between January 2018 and September 2022. And over that time, we noticed an increase in frequency. We updated the report in April. And at that time, we found an additional 54 incidents that occurred in the final months of 2022 and 69 from January to March of 2023. That meant that the first quarter of this year had nearly three times the number of acts of hostility that occurred within the same time frame last year. If this continues, this year will be on track to have the highest number in the last six years. All told, FRC has observed 565 attacks against churches from January 2018 to April 2023. And I'd like to break these down for you a little bit more Between January 2018 and September 2022, 77% of the acts we identified were vandalism, 13% were arson, 3% were bomb threats, 3% were gun-related incidents, and 4% fell into the other category, most prominently including interruption of worship services. Some of these incidents appeared to be senseless and even malicious acts of destruction, and I'll give you a few examples. In February 2023, Vandals broke into the Delabrook Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, ransacking parts of the building. They sprayed a fire extinguisher all over the church and into the ventilation system, causing $40,000 in damage. And this church was extremely surprised that this happened, that they would be targeted for something like this. One woman who works at the church told a local news station, I keep wondering why? It shows a great deal of anger. And were they angry at us? Were they angry at churches? Were they angry at God? In July 2022, a small shrine outside of St. Bernadette Catholic Church in Rockford, Illinois, was vandalized twice in one month. First, the shrine was damaged with a hammer, and the second time, it was destroyed with a sledgehammer. Many churches are also defaced with obscene or hateful messages. In October 2021, vandals spray-painted hateful messages on the front of Denver's Cathedral Basilica of the Immaculate Conception, including the words, Satan lives here. Many of these attacks are just downright disturbing. In one January 2023 incident, Portland Korean Church, a vacant historic building in Portland, Oregon, was set on fire. The 27-year-old suspect who suffered from schizophrenia claimed voices in his head threatened to mutilate him if he refused to burn down a church. Some of the attacks also have an obvious political motivation. Following the leak of the Supreme Court's Dobbs decision last May, at least 57 incidents were directly tied to abortion. For example, in June 26th of last year, pro-abortion protesters interrupted mass at St. Joseph Catholic Church in Chicago and began chanting slogans and distributing leaflets. At least one protester held up a sign that read, the Catholic Church has blood on its hands. On January 27th, the next day, Dozens of pro-abortion protesters vandalized a church office building belonging to Hinson Baptist Church in Portland, Oregon, which included offices for a pregnancy resource center as well. These protesters wore masks and carried umbrellas to evade security cameras, so they knew what they were doing. They broke windows and left obscene and hateful graffiti messages behind, including the phrase abort yourself. Now, I want to be clear that this doesn't only happen to churches in the U.S. The Anti-Defamation League reported hundreds of anti-Semitic incidents against Jewish institutions in 2022, and this included synagogues and Jewish schools. The American Civil Liberties Union has tracked nearly 400 anti-mosque incidents since 2005. These attacks against places of worship are completely unacceptable, and it's something that should concern those of all faiths. So why is this happening? In part, I think this is a symptom of increasing secularization we're seeing an eroding reverence for religion. And with that, we see the respect for physical places of worship and religious institutions in decline. So when people are frustrated, for example, with a Supreme Court decision that they don't like, it becomes less unthinkable to lash out against churches. And this is a serious problem. All of us should think that way. Even when someone doesn't adhere to a given religion, they should be able to treat houses of worship with respect rather than platforms to vent their political rage. Yet hostility against churches and against Christianity itself is likely to grow as American culture continues to embrace the values rooted in a sexual revolution. These things include abortion, same-sex marriage, and gender ideology. These things naturally conflict with core Christian teachings and beliefs. The culture today demands submission to the idea of my body, my choice. It believes that truth is personal determined by our feelings and that each of us is morally obligated to live authentically by doing whatever our feelings tell us to do. The culture also claims that the problems in the world are not caused by sin so there's no reason for us to change. Instead, the problems are caused by systemic injustice or forces outside of ourselves. This worldview is in direct contradiction to the Christian gospel, which begins with the message of repent and believe. The message of repentance, or even the mere suggestion that people are broken and need to change, is now viewed as bigotry. Many people have been discipled in the dogmas of the sexual revolution, and have come to see religious institutions not as places of formation that help people overcome their impulses to be who God intended them to be, but as places of oppression, which deny people the opportunity to live authentically as the world sees it. This worldview inevitably clashes with a religion. Of course, the truth is that they're just replacing one religion with another one, but this is why so many people, I think implicitly and subconsciously, are resistant towards and hostile towards Christian, Jewish, and Islamic faiths broadly, whether they realize it or not. And I think a lot of people don't realize it. Now, some of you might be skeptical about the significance of. Well, most of these incidents are just vandalism. What's the big deal? But these acts aren't isolated and they represent something bigger. Because the incidents are increasing, they are moving the Overton window in a direction where assaults against churches become normal, which means that more serious assaults against the rights of religious believers and religious institutions will also become normal. And physical acts of hostility against churches aren't the only symptom of religious intolerance. In 2022, FRC re- published a report about government violations of religious freedom in the West. The report featured incidents in which Western governments threatened jailed, fined or otherwise punished churches or individuals for actions related to their faith. Between January 2020 and June 2022, we identified 99 such cases across 14 Western countries. In the United States, religious freedom faces growing threats. The Respect for Marriage Act, which passed last December, paves the way for individuals and organizations to face penalties for their sincerely held beliefs about natural marriage. Many Catholic charities and adoption centers have already been forced to shut down in recent years rather than be compelled to violate their religious beliefs on marriage and human dignity. Across the world, violations of religious freedom are even more severe. Religious believers in China face an oppressive and high tech totalitarian government that tracks their every move and currently detains hundreds of thousands of Uyghur Muslims in internment camps. In Pakistan, the mere suggestion of blasphemy can land Christians, atheists, or Muslims in prison, or, honestly worse, subjected to brutal mob violence. Nigeria remains one of the deadliest countries in the world to be a Christian. It's estimated that tens of thousands of Christians have been murdered by militants in recent years, and even more of them have been displaced. These examples are a sober reminder of just how precious the right to religious freedom is. It ought to be defended in the United States both for our sake and our children's sake, as well as for the many persecuted people around the world who look to our country to advocate on their behalf. As of right now, there's no sign that acts of hostility against churches in the U.S. are going to decrease. However, our reaction should not be fear. For Christians, our hope is in Christ, and we know perfect love casts out fear. At the same time, that doesn't mean we can be complacent. All of us have a role to play in shaping our culture and improving our communities, and we can't let social hostility intimidate us. We must continue to do what we are called to do. We should continue to go to church and not shy away from expressing our religious beliefs. We have to resolutely condemn acts of hostility against churches and demand that our political leaders do the same. We found that acts of hostility occurred in almost every state plus Washington, DC. The reality is that this is a widespread problem and it's going to take all of us to solve it. Religious freedom doesn't simply rely on legal protections, although we certainly need those too. It also relies on cultural support and that's where we can come in. By consistently living out our faith in the public square, we can foster a culture that tolerates and accepts religious expression. So pray in public, Share your faith and don't compromise on your beliefs. Live according to your faith and defend the rights of others to do the same even when they don't share your beliefs. This is how we will begin to rebuild a culture that respects religious freedom. Thank you.
1: Ariel, thank you so much. Let's say your church or someone here in the audience, church is vandalized. What's your first step? in response to that? What do you need to say to the local authorities, et cetera?
0: Yes, so the police are very good at handling this. Please never, never just act like acts of vandalism against churches are normal. Just clean it up on your own, don't tell the police. They really need to know both for your benefit and the benefit of the community and the benefit of other churches who will be helped if police are paying more attention to this issue. So definitely tell the police. Also, I would encourage any church to Install security cameras. Uh, These are extremely helpful for documentation and also for finding the violators. That's a serious issue when it comes to these types of crimes that occur in the middle of the night. People disguise themselves. Anything like this will be helpful. And definitely document. Uh, You can call your uh, local news station. This documentation is extremely helpful both for researchers like us, uh, but also to raise awareness about the issue.
1: Ariel Del Turco during a special forum on religious liberty presented by the Illinois Family Institute at Jubilee Bible Church, Medina, Illinois. Ms. Del Turco is the director for religious liberty at the Family Research Council, FRC.org. After timeout, Spotlight will share some Q&A from that forum with the Honorable Sam Brownback, the former U.S. Ambassador for Religious Freedom.
0: Did you know that Generation Z is one of the most anxious, lonely, and depressed generations in all of American history? It's true. From peer pressure to more screen time, less personal interaction with others, our generation is twice as likely to struggle with feelings of hopelessness than our seniors. In fact, 42% of us struggle with depression. As members of Gen Z, we've seen this battle from the inside and witnessed the desperation for purpose and yearning to thrive of our peers that's why we launched self-evident self-evident is a platform hosted by five girls of the zoomer generation and our mission is to love our listeners by discussing and dismantling topics from a biblical perspective and to provide an alternative to the mainstream perspective help us help others find christ our website is self evidentpodcastcom
2: With a woman to look at culture from a Christian worldview, I'm John Stone Street with a point. Recently, Lois Miller of ADF International tweeted out her radical takes for 2023, that biological men shouldn't compete in women's sports, that silent prayer is not a crime, that ending the lives of babies in the womb is wrong. She then offered this conclusion: quote, radicals of the past got to say things that were groundbreaking, but we're stuck with defending the obvious. Well, she's right. We ought not underestimate, at least if we take seriously, Romans chapter 1, just how prone fallen humans are, to deny what's obvious true and to embrace what's obviously false. That's why in this cultural moment stating the obvious is so radical and so necessary. Still, reality will eventually win. For example, many Western nations are backing away from their trans-extremism. Tragically, until they do, lives will continue to be ruined. That's because ideas have consequences. Bad ideas have victims. So quote-unquote radical Christians have to be ready to combat bad ideas while caring for victims. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street.
1: Thanks for joining Illinois Family Spotlight during this segment. Q&A with former Ambassador Sam Brownback from a special IFI forum on religious liberty held at Jubilee Bible Church, Medina, Illinois. Ambassador Brownback now leads the National Committee for Religious Freedom, ncrf.org. During his presentation at the forum, he spoke about the need for conservatives to reach out to various ethnic groups, the debanking, and deplatforming of conservatives, and the impact of woke corporations on America.
3: I've been doing ministry for over 30 years, been working with the ethnic community. You are so correct. You're so correct. The ethnic community is conservative by nature. Why do we avoid reaching out to the ethnic community? I have wrestled with this one a lot. I won the Hispanic vote in my governor's reelect in 2014, and I needed to win that vote. But what I did, I, was just, I just went to them, and I started talking to them, and I said, we want you. And so many other Republicans wouldn't do that because of, they thought it was something tied to an immigration fight, or they thought, well, maybe these are illegal immigrants that are here, or maybe there's this, or I don't want Ill- I don't want illegal immigration either. But we want to reach out to legal immigrants, and we want to reach out to people. They're here legally, and they're going to vote, and they need to vote, and they will vote, and their kids certainly will. I actually think it's been political malfeasance on our part. This play will work, and all you got to do is just go and not insult people and just talk to them and say, look, we want you here, and we want you to register, and I hope you'll register as Republican, and here's the conservative that stands for religious freedom and life and marriage between a man and a woman. And on gender, that it's how you were born. We're not asking a lot of strange things of people here. So I just think we've got to get over the way we've looked at things in the past, or we've generally looked at that constituency as a Democrat constituency and thought just not worth it. What I'm advocating is that we would go into these communities and register them to vote, not just go and recruit People or just talk to them, but say, no, we want to set up voter registration here in this community with you. We want you to register to vote, and we want you, and recruit candidates too from that community as well. The Hispanic community is moving our way rapidly. It's off of really the basis that, you know, look, I agree more with the Republicans and their philosophy and the traditional values than what I'm seeing on the other side. And some of the stuff on the other side, and particularly like the transgender athletes issue, just doesn't make sense to people.
1: Your question, sir? I agree with you in terms of, you know, who the shareholders of these companies are. But just like the left has taken over universities, they've taken over the upper echelon of the companies also. And they're the ones that sent out the proxy and set the statements and everything. So do you have any ideas to how are any suggestions as to how regular, ordinary shareholders could get together or something to influence these companies?
3: Yeah, uh, there's a couple of really small groups that have formed up to start doing this. We got a shareholder resolution in front of the J.P. Morgan Chase Annual Meeting. We lost it, lost it big, uh, the shareholder resolution. but we got it up, and we made them answer the questions that were in the shareholder resolution. I think we've got to do more things like that. I think we've got to start campaigns to get people on the the board of directors. One of the things we can start doing, and we're seeing this now, is a number of conservative state treasurers have started, and they've banded together an organization, and have started saying they're going to vote their pension funds for their states in favor of companies that are moving more traditional or conservative values, or at least, actually they're not doing conservative values, but they're saying that they're going against woke companies that are pushing different values and pulling some of their funds, their investment operations away from groups that are pushing a left-wing agenda of these investment companies. Some of the conservative state, there's a uh, state financial, uh, state fiscal uh, officers organization. Well, these states, even small states, have huge pension funds and how these pension funds are invested and operated matters significantly. That's another way that we can go at this. Uh, and then we're gonna start, I think if we can get the Christian community and the, the traditional conservative community to start thinking about how they vote their shares and what they do with that, and we pu- start getting more of these resolutions up and putting people in front of being board of directors, I think we can start having some success. It's gonna take time. The left didn't get, control these companies overnight. They've been after it for uh, for years. We're going to have to just get in there and do it the same way that they did and organize, but, but we actually own the companies. It, it ought to be easier for us to do it if we just actually get organized. Yeah, I don't think it's about money. I think it's really about the culture. And I think it's about trying to maintain a religious freedom for everybody in this nation and to project that around the world. That's what it's about. To me, it's not just about the money. I think you can use the money to help you in the culture. And I think a lot of times on the other side, they've, they've used that effectively against us. But to me, it's about the culture. Senator Moynihan that is deceased now, but I got to serve with once said, the central conservative truth is that culture is more important than government. What you think and what the society believes is more important than government. The central liberal truth is you can use government to change culture. I think there's some truth to that and we need to employ it as well. Mm-hmm. Let me
1: wrap up with this question. The 2024 election in terms of religious freedom, just how important is the outcome?
3: Well, I think it's critically important. But I think now we honestly, we've got, I, I think we've got a key fight brewing with these big companies. And then in corporate America, I think we really have got to get into those fights because that's where more people live their daily life. You're impacted by government. But these companies, what Facebook does and who they de-platform and they and they don't, uh, these big uh, banks and who they kick out and who they don't. This is where people's daily lives are, and that's why I'm saying we've got to open up a new, new front. I think we're going to continue to win the court cases, as I think the Supreme Court's going to continue to look at, on, with favor, this free exercise. I think we've got to elect candidates at the local, state, and federal level who will stand up and support religious freedom And a president that supports it will be so much more helpful than than the situation we're in right now. But I I think we've got another front going, and that's cancel culture, and it's being done by a lot of big companies. How can people reach out to you and your organization? They can go on that website, thencrf.org. If you have a story of being canceled, we've got a campaign on the the National Committee for Religious Freedom. It's called Chased Away uh, is the name of the, the campaign tell us what happened to you, where you were canceled, or whatever the case might be. We want to take those cases to state attorney generals, to legislators, to to show this is what's happening to a lot of people that share traditional traditional values. That's the group that the National Committee for Religious Freedom, the, T-H-E, NCRF.org, look at that. We're forming up state chapters. Illinoisans for religious freedom. We'd love to get one of those uh, started to fight. And this is the broad-based coalition that I was talking about uh, putting together in something like uh, this. We're gonna have a national meeting of all the various groups that are fighting in the culture and the political war this fall. And we're gonna try to get together all these groups to have them talk about what they are doing in the culture war, what's happening here, what, what this group is doing, that group is doing. So we get the team together And we'll get people from lots of different communities and faiths there so that we can start connecting people. We've got a candidate uh, pledge for candidates to sign. We'd love to get candidates in Illinois for next year's election to sign the Religious Freedom Pledge, that they would take a pledge at the state, local, federal level, that they would stand and fight for religious freedom in the legislature. Uh, We need to get people to sign those and to walk those uh, pledges around so that we can win. All right. Let's thank Ambassador Sam Brownback. God bless y'all. The
1: Honorable Sam Brownback, the former U.S. Ambassador-at-Large for International Religious Freedom during a special Illinois Family Institute Forum on Religious Liberty at Jubilee Bible Church, Medina, Illinois. Look for his keynote address from that forum on the IFI YouTube channel and an upcoming edition of Illinois Family Spotlight. Be sure to join conservative radio host and best-selling author Eric Metaxas at the Illinois Family Institute's Faith, Family, and Freedom Banquet Friday, November 3rd at the Bolingbrook Golf Club. If you'd like to attend, click events at IllinoisFamily.org or call 708-781-9328. We'd love to see you there. So click events at IllinoisFamily.org or call 708 708- And you can give to IFI by going to IllinoisFamily.org or by calling 708-781-9328. All donations are tax deductible and very much appreciated. Be sure to sign up for IFI email updates at IllinoisFamily.org and tell your family and friends about Illinois Family Spotlight. Until next time, stay healthy, stay active, and God bless.
0: For more information about Illinois Family Spotlight, visit ifiaction.org. And to email questions and comments, do so at feedback@ifiaction.org. at